What up, people? Guy Adami here. No tie-wearing Guy Adami. You see how my black tee underneath, Dan, is my want to do. It's 1 o'clock on the East Coast. We will, in fact, put 30 minutes on the clock. It's just Dan Nathan, who you see there in the screen to my left, and uh, yours truly. This is Market Call. Today's Market Call, Dan, on this January 10th, brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. I love saying that. Those Laird Hamilton commercials are tremendous. Our data provider, FactSet. Love FactSet. Love their charts. Love you. Don't love what the Knicks did last night, Dan, as they were handily beating oh. the Bucks of Milwaukee, only to find themselves defeated late in the fourth uh, quarter. I, How I, are I, you? I was in the building. I was in the Madison Square Garden, and and uh, maybe we'll have Jacob throw up a, a picture of uh, wow. me just watching the Greek Freak a little bit. I didn't take a picture of me watching the Greek Freak, but he he, I, I walked in there, and they were up handily, as you say, and they were up handily for for the better part of the second half, and sure. the game just went away from them, guy. Um, listen, love to see that picture, by the way. Listen. Knicks are playing good ball. I mean, yeah. you, you got to yes. win at home. You got to win these home games. And that game was extraordinarily winnable. But that's not what the folks are here to listen to, nope. Dan. Nope. They're here to talk about the market. Inter- another interesting day, not because much is going on. It's sort of the the stuff below the surface, which is typically uh, what get peaks our interest. That has a cue in it, by the way. Well, it's funny. It, it's it's a funny week. You know, we spent some time yesterday talking about the market's reaction to the December jobs data, and it was a, a rip roaring rally on Friday. It followed through yesterday, gave up most of it. Today, we're just doing a lot of, you know, sideways action here. And you know, some of the headlines is a little Fed speak. A uh, Fed speaker's talking about how. You know, they have to have this continued resolve. My words, not his. Um, Jamie Dimon, uh, CEO of J.P. Morgan, is mm-hmm. making comment. One of the headlines I saw this morning was um, that Fidelity, um, there must be a strategist over there. I don't know if it's Urian um, Timmer, you know, but but a couple other large mutual fund complexes saying the same thing. And it's interesting when you have a lot of individuals like that in the markets who know that, you know, increased inflation fighting after all of the um, tightening that we saw last year is only going to weigh on risk assets. So they must see something that they're a bit worried about. And I think, you know, you've said this on some occasions over the last 10 years is like sooner or later, I mean, these sort of recessionary periods are healthy, right? Like yeah. you can't just kind of just have a little bit of a, 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 a hack at inflation and just think that you're going to sweep some of the longer term implications under the rug and then just get right back to easy monetary policy. I think that's exactly right. And we had a conversation with Mike Wilson on the On The Tape podcast that dropped on Friday. Find it, folks, at your favorite podcast store. That's Dan's line that I just stole. Mike Wilson's going to be on Fast Money this evening. But one of the questions that I asked him, or it's one of the statements I made and embedded a question in it, is that we're no longer in business cycles. I mean, the business cycle was around as, as long as time, effectively, and there are booms and busts, and that's a natural part. And we've gone from business cycles to credit cycles. And to your point, it masks a lot of things I would submit as painful as recessions are they're they're indeed necessary and they're extraordinarily healthy. And the fact that we've sort of hid them for so long or masked them only makes the ensuing, again, my opinion, uh, that side of the equation recession that much more that much more difficult to navigate. Wasn't just us, by the way, Paul Tudor Jones this morning on Squawk Box was making very similar comments. So these are all extraordinarily accomplished people basically echoing a lot of things that we're saying by no means am I submitting that they're taking what we said and, and parroting it by, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But the fact that 
they're saying a lot of the same thoughts and ideas that we've been talking about. It reinforces, and I hate using it, but reinforces this current belief system that we have about the market. Yeah, I, I guess the other way to think about it, too, and we've been talking about this a lot. I mean, we were really early on a lot of these themes, you know, like a year ago and even into the end of 2021. And, and you know, now because of price performance in the equity markets and the volatility we've seen in bonds and some of the action we've seen in commodities and FX, you know, a lot of people have come to the consensus that it's going to be a very difficult first half of the year for risk assets, uh, valuations, the kind of transmission of, of all, all that tighter monetary policy should find its way into, you know, markets, into the economy um, at some point, you know, early this year. The, the fact that that's consensus makes me a little nervous. You know, when you look at the S&P mm -hmm. futures here, we have a one-year chart. We know the downtrend. We know the 200-day. We, we broke out of that little bit of a consolidation, um, you know, uh, on Friday, Guy. We tried to rally to that 200-day, which it last got there, I want to say, a little more than a month ago, failed after we had that CPI print the november cpi print which uh, again people were a little bit excited about i mean we're seeing these numbers come down you know dramatically year over year but i guess the question here is with the s p up 12 percent from those october lows and we're just going to start getting at least the guidance from companies about what they see with a higher rate environment even with inflation coming down you know wage 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 inflation stuck around. You've been saying that for a long time, despite a lot of other inputs, whether it be commodities have come down, the dollars come down. We're still going to see this weighing on corporate profits. And that is the final piece of the puzzle where Mike, you know, talked about it on our podcast. Please go listen to it on, on the tape podcast, um, you know, saying that his base case for S&P earnings are a buck 95. His bear case is 180. The street consensus is still up at 220. So there's a lot of room to go on the on the S&P earnings front. Well, that's the, that's the other point. It's interesting somebody said the last thing they want to hear about is nba basketball which i totally understand by the way i haven't really seen a game in its entirety since the 90s i believe when larry johnson was playing for the knicks but to your point i believe there's this notion somehow that if the fed were to signal a pause or if this inflation data continues the, its trajectory lower which has been the case and i would submit is probably going to continue Somehow that's bullish for the market, and I understand that. But I think if you think about it the way you just outlined, it's not going to stop margins from, uh, margins from basically contracting, earnings from contracting, people laying off people. I mean, the economy slowing down. So the, pr the price to earnings, the earnings portion of this equation, almost by definition, regardless of Fed, needs to get lowered. And I think that's what some people are trying to say, whether or not the market acknowledges it is something else. That being said, yeah. Thursday's CPI print is going to be a market mover without question. I don't know what consensus is. I think it's 6-2. You probably know better than I do. Yeah. Um, but you know, if that comes in south of that, you're going to see a market do similar to what we saw the last CPI print. And whether it remains is yet to be seen. If it comes a little hotter though, I think you're going to see obviously the opposite. So you're trading right now against what your belief is for Thursday's number. And I, quite frankly, I have no idea what it's yeah, going to be. Yeah, you know what? I, I've actually, I got back into the seat this year. I wanted to do a little trading. I had uh, a couple shorts on and some indices and, and I actually got, uh, you know, stopped out on Friday with that move. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. There were kind of some short dated options. And again, you know, that's not a great way to trade some of these moves um, because you just get chopped around, especially in a market like this. I'll just say this about the NASDAQ though. When you think 
about, you know, expectations for that. I mean, what does well in an environment where, let's say, yields are going to come down and we think that the Fed is going to get a bit easier? It's going to be a lot of these high valuation names that have been so beaten up. And, you know, the NASDAQ, though, if you look at the NASDAQ futures guy, the one-year chart, I mean, like, directionally, it looks the same thing as that S&P chart we just threw up there. It is just so much closer to its lows and feels so much heavier, you know. And so I think that is something to keep a close eye on. We've mm -hmm. seen a lot of beaten up sectors within tech um, that have gotten out of the gates pretty hard. Some things in the Internet space, some things in um, cybersecurity, some software names, some semis, you know, some really cheap semis. Micron, Intel have had huge runs. They were maybe kind of considered dogs of the Dow, if you will. But the Nasdaq feels heavy. And all of the acceleration that we're seeing of some of these job cuts, we saw Salesforce last week. We're seeing Coinbase today. And we'll take a look at some of those names here. You know, that probably speaks in front of earnings that they're going to see some, some big guides lower here. I agree with that. It's interesting. Um, you mentioned the Microsoft interview from CNBC India, or maybe it was CNBC Asia, but he was, was in India, India yeah. Satya Nadella. You mentioned it, and that concerned you. And you've actually said on Fast Money last night, you said it on Market Call as well, that that's as bearish as you've heard them. And again, I heard this morning on Squawk Box, uh, I don't know if it was Squawk Box or Squawk on the Street, it doesn't matter, but Jim Cramer echoed your sentiment. And I think he said, that they got out of some or all of their Microsoft position, which if you think about it, if you know Jim at all, that's been one of the sort of the, the foundational stocks in his portfolio. I just throw that out there just to throw it out there. When people like Jim heard that, he had the same reaction that you did. And to your point, it just seems to be for you French people out there, a fait accompli that some of these things are going to be ratcheted down. Again, it's not it's just sort of trying to read the tea leaves in yeah. terms of what's going on under the surface. So as important as the Fed is, we're now in the next portion of this uh, market, which is earnings, earnings growth, revenue and revenue growth. And what are you paying for said uh, earnings? And I think that's what the market is trying to come to grips with. Again, listen to Mike Wilson's comments on the tape and potentially watch tonight on Fast Money. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, and you know, one thing that just seems also very complacent here is the VIX guy. Um, you know, when you look at this thing, it's kind of holding on or it's straddling that uptrend that's been in place for the last year. And, you know, we've had a series um, of higher lows here and it really feels like it just wants to, I mean, listen, this is going to be a teenager, right? If we have um, a soft inflation reading on Thursday morning, and that's just not a great setup in my opinion for that part that you just mentioned that the macro is causing people to chase stocks okay and then we start getting the fundamental news mm -hmm. on stocks in q4 earnings and 2023 guidance that sets up um for for a nasty trade in my opinion especially with you know volatility or at least the volatility index as low as it is but the, the but the big thing here is is, is yields and, and you know again we just mentioned it here but if you look at the 10-year you know it's holding that kind of up it's been a little volatile the last couple of trading days or last three trading days or so but i want to point you guys to the the two-year yield this is a chart from worth charting our friend Carter Braxtonworth, he put this out in a note to clients yesterday. And I just, we mentioned some of the warnings that we had from some people about, um, you know, fighting inflation. So like, like throw this Jamie da Diamond headline on, okay. And then look at the chart of the two year. Yeah. They don't say the same thing, do they guy? No, not at all. And I'm, I'm struggling with the bond market as well, because you're seeing a sell off today in the TLT which means obviously 10-year yields are going higher. I mean, the whole thing is very confusing. You know, go back and listen to Paul Tudor Jones today because he was trying to get his arms around exactly the point that you're bringing up right now. I don't really get it. 
I mean, again, I've thought for a while the two-year yields, and this has been, you know, this has been my view for quite some time, would sort of get to four and a half percent, and we'd see ten-year at sort of three and a half percent, and there's your one percent inversion. Quite the opposite is happening right now, and for the life of me, I can't really figure it out. I think what the market is trying to do, I think, is square up and potentially trade ahead of Thursday. Now, if there is a disappointment. All the things that we just talked about, this two-year yield chart, you watch it ratchet right through that uptrend line to the upside again, and that's yeah. where we'll be. And we'll talk about how this might have been a false breakdown through the trend line. Yeah, well, we'll see. But it's it it, it is a uh, significant breakdown, or it's just yeah, kind it of, is uh, like you know, there's no doubt about it. Let's go look at the CME Fed Watch tool here really quickly, guys. So if you look at this one, I mean, we're talking about some of these guys suggesting, and they're all guys. Um, so um, that the Fed funds is going to be well above five percent, or should continue to go above five percent. If we look out to the Feb one meeting, there's over an eighty percent chance that, or about an eighty percent chance that we're going to get to four. Seven five on the mm -hmm. upper bound, and then in March we're going to get to um, five percent, and a really low likelihood that we see five and a quarter. Um, you know, at that period, we'd have to see some really hot data, right? We'd have to see the unemployment data for January continue to kind of keep that unemployment rate at three and a half, and then CPI would surprise the upside. Is that a fair assessment? I, I think that's an extraordinarily accurate assessment. I think it's a fair assessment. And that's why we put this up to try to guide people and give them tools to watch as to, you know, what the market thinks is about to happen or what potentially could happen based on the things that we try to point out. Specifically this week, the importance of CPI, not to be diminished by Friday, which is a huge day for bank earnings. And I'm sure we'll probably start talking about them here either tomorrow or Thursday. But I think you make a great call. And it's you know, I'm just going through the comments as I'm looking to the right. And I don't know if Jacob can do this. If he can't, I apologize. But somebody just brought up Caterpillar, you know, strong cat chart. And this is one we mentioned uh, recently. And John Deere, the same thing. You have, multi you have really massive double tops in both John Deere that proved to be correct. And I think the same thing is happening in Caterpillar. So I think people are extrapolating, looking at some of these industrials, saying things aren't that bad. But I think a lot of these stocks, Dan, are running into huge resistance. And here comes a caterpillar chart now now if you could extend that out a little bit jacob and just look a little bit longer term you'll sort of see what i'm saying so john deere has a very well-defined double top and i think what we're seeing here in caterpillar is the same thing thank you for that if you look at it folks you'll see exactly what i'm talking about and that gap that we made um earlier or late last year a few months ago probably needs to be filled so as good as it looks today how quickly things can change in some of these industrials dan yeah, it's funny though. You know, we talked about that move off the October lows and you know, we saw a rotation right out of high valuation tech into industrials, into some energy, into materials, that sort of thing. And you know, to me it, it, it's kind of interesting. It, it's such a weird move. I mean, look at the look at the magnitude of that move mm -hmm. off of the lows this year. It's kind of unnatural. And if you were to back that out, I don't know if it, Jacob can do that like out 10 or 20 years. I mean, this move is going to look like, uh, you know, this will look like a bit of a consolidation, right? And and some might say, you know, here we are. We're, we're probably on the precipice of a breakout. I, I just feel like, you know, the likelihood of that is not particularly great given what we think is going to happen to the global economy. And so, listen, you know, sometimes, um, you know, these sorts of rotations cause, you know, too many people going after the same asset, right? These are That's the one thing. And we've talked about this a lot, Guy. When you think about what leads us out, we spent a bunch of time talking about this market calling on the tape. What is the leaders of the next, next bull market? I mean, you put the entire industrial sector 
together. You know what I mean? And it doesn't equal one of these mega cap stocks. That's exactly right. And so then when you think about a move like we've had in a stock like this, you say to yourself, well, how much more can it go? And how many other stocks would have to go parabolic like this to kind of, um, you know, let's say, you know, that the sort of outperformance that would cause maybe a lag in some of these mega cap stocks. I just don't see it happening. I mean, I'm just- No, I agree with that. And it's interesting. I want to pull it maybe, and I appreciate this. And when negative stuff comes up, I'll pull it up as well. But Chris Sinclair just said something really nice. And I think this, um, it's important to bring up. Chris says he likes risk reversals. And I'm sorry that I'm reading conviction. Lots of people have to talk about this stuff all the time, won't reiterate. And they are under the pressure to keep talking. Who knows what to trust? I, and I, what that speaks to, Dan, and the only reason I want to bring it up is there has to be a level of consistency, not dogma. But consistency, it's easy to be bullish on up days. It's really easy to be bearish on down days. But you have to have that consistency, understanding that sometimes the data change and you have to be willing to and able to change your mind. So we walk that tightrope. And I appreciate Chris sort of taking the time to point that out. Yeah. I mean, we get a lot of things wrong. I mean, I think. Oh, no, it's not about it's. I totally I say it all the time. We get a lot wrong. But I think people appreciate the honesty and the consistency that we try to provide every day. You know, we're not going to come here and blow hot and cold based on what's going on. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that well, up. Well, I mean, listen, to your point, I mean, we're doing market call Monday through Thursday. We're doing fast money multiple times a week. We're doing our podcast. It's all out there. So um, the beauty of it, you know, we used to say, what do they say? Timestamp something back in the day. Remember that guy on the tickets that you, you'd write? Timestamp well, that biatch. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I don't know if you um, said beyond. Let, <laughs> let's talk um, a little bit about um, this U.S. dollar yeah. and gold, something near and dear to your heart. We talked about, you know, the dollar yesterday. That was a pretty big reversal on Friday. Just got just below that 200-day moving average from a technical standpoint. I mean, maybe we see, you know, 100 on this thing, guy, would you say, on the on the, on the Dixie? And again, that has a lot to do with go- what's going on in the euro. The euro makes up 50% of that. And again, you know, things just got so so overshot to one way um, as it relates to the kind of the geopolitical stuff that was going on um, in Europe over the last year in change or so. It makes sense that you'd see the dollar gains moderating and then and then kind of overshoot to the downside because that was a bit of a blow off top a few months ago. Without question. And you had a great trade with this. Carter pointed this out as well. I didn't think I thought you would see a bit of a retracement to the trend line. It obviously broke that in a meaningful way in late November to the downside. But let's talk about the here and now. Uh, This weakness in the dollar, which clearly takes the headwinds of currency away from a lot of these multinationals, without question. I mean, that headwind, if nothing else, has abated. Maybe potentially is a bit of a tailwind now. But the back half of that is you have to yourself, what does a weaker dollar mean? What is this really telling us in terms of the economy? And what is it telling us in terms of what potentially could happen for commodities, which is the reason why you mentioned gold. So a stronger dollar clearly presented a headwind for the commodity market. Now that that's abating, one would think that this commodity market is free to go higher. So that's been my thesis all along, that the commodity market was sort of, and I hate using the term, but sort of on a hair trigger, that if it even sniffed some weakness in the dollar, which we're seeing, and or some pause pivot I don't know, reversal in terms of Fed rhetoric, commodity market was going to be off to the races, which would, again, just reaccelerate the inflation problem that they're trying to uh, tamp down. So what does it mean? It means we're pretty freaking critical levels here. The 200-day moving average is flattening out. I actually think we're going to hold here and bounce, especially if you think CPI is going to come in hot 
on Thursday, but that's just my premise ahead of the number, Dan. Yeah, and so then gold, you've been talking about it, and you yep. just said it's kind of at a habits moment. You can see it retesting those prior highs if you look um, at gold futures here. Um, and again, you made this point, and I think it's kind of interesting that you could see, you know, the, the you could see the price of gold, um, the physical go higher, mm -hmm. and the underlying, well, the ETF that tracks at the GLD go lower, which is why it's kind of fun to look at um, the gold futures here. Pretty nice uptrend guy. We're kind of getting to, to some resistance from back in the spring here. Um, is there a single event or is there some sort of narrative as far as the data is concerned where you would see, and, and obviously it's going to be like the dollar going lower precipitously, but what, what, what are some of the headlines that some yeah. of our listeners, viewers should be looking I appreciate. For? So that's, I think we've seen the events. We're seeing sort of rolling events along the way, not least of which something we talked about a couple of weeks ago on market call, the fact that in 2022, central banks were buying gold in a record amounts, really across the board. The Chinese continue to buy gold, which, which I think is interesting. So those things are out there. Obviously, geopolitical stuff that seemingly doesn't go away is always out there. And I'm glad that you mentioned GLD, and this is for another time for sure. But, you know, the ETF to me is flawed. If you really get into the nitty gritty, the fine print of that ETF, if gold would have worked the way I think it would work, there's potential for GLD to go nowhere and potentially go lower. So if you want to be in gold, and Danny Moses talks about this all the time, the way to play it is probably in that PHYS, which is a physical gold, and or some of these mining companies that are extraordinarily levered to the price. But to answer your question, it's continued buying by central banks and, quite frankly, um, continued button pushing by central banks, meaning, again, Bank of Japan many months ago. Uh, intervened in their currency for the first time in a long time. And this recent move they had about a month and a half or so ago when they intervened effectively in their bond market was effectively an intervention in their currency market. So you're starting to see that happen as well. And look, listen, look what just happened in Brazil yesterday. I mean, you have a lot of weird things that nobody wants to talk about right in front of our eyes. And I think it's just a matter of time before the price of gold sort of catches up to that. Fair enough. All right, let's think about um, China a little bit. answer, by the way. It was great. We, we talked about China last night on Fast Money. We haven't talked about it much here. I did a trade in early oh. November in the FXI, the large cap um, ETF um, that, that covers uh, China over there. Some big, big names, Tencent, Alibaba, you know, a bunch of internet names, Medawan, uh, J JD, that sort of thing. Um, I think it was down at like 22, guys. The FXI has rallied about 50%. But if you look at that downtrend that we have here, I mean, like we just got above that. From a technical standpoint, above the 200-day and above that downtrend, looks pretty good. I, I feel like, though, that, you know, we're starting to see a chorus of like strategists and investment banks getting on this trade. And, you know, my comment last night was, and, and I feel very strongly about this. I mean, <laughs> one of the issues that we have or like U.S. investors, regulators have with Chinese companies is that they're listed here on our exchanges but they don't follow the same transparency um rules uh, you know at home as they as the companies that do here that's a b you know just the unfair um competitive issues that like our digital companies don't have access to their consumers yet mm -hmm. we have these companies listed here and some of these companies obviously do business over here so i just think there's like thousands of stocks there's thousands of etfs that if you're a u.s investor that you can take a look at now from an investment standpoint from a trading standpoint it's totally different but i don't trust them i don't trust the companies i don't trust the party and so 
I don't know. I just kind of feel like, again, taking the geopolitical thing, you know, if, if nothing happens, let's say, you know, with a, you know, some sort of aggression with China and Taiwan, I still feel like the, the fits and starts of reopening and what's gone on with COVID over there, that it's just going to be, I think the easy money has been made from a trading perspective. I don't have um, an investment standpoint. Love to get your thoughts. And I put on a trade in the FX side today I want to talk about, but love to get your thoughts on that. On that yeah. whole, so, um, and you're tr- I want to take some time in your trade because I think it's actually the timing is spot on. And Listen, again, with these Chinese stocks, the chorus of uninvestable was as loud as I've ever heard it the weekend, I believe, of October 23rd, if you go back. And we came in that Monday, and I think that's what a lot of shows left led with how uninvestable China was, which to me was the first sign. And then on that day, it was a Monday the 24th, you saw a name like Alibaba, for example, trade about three and a half, four times normal volume, traded down to 58 and change, closed at 63 you see where it is now. The stock's rallied 75, 80%. I mean, which is remarkable if you think about it. But we've seen moves like that, maybe not of that magnitude before. We saw a similar move, by the way, around the 4th of July, where Alibaba, I think, rallied 35% the next day. And we actually highlighted that on Fast Money. To your point, though, these are all still in a very significant downtrend. Yeah, maybe we've broken out of that downtrend. But the the basically headline risk around these has have not gone away. And the right thing to do is do exactly what you're doing. Use these opportunities, some of these blow-off tops, which I think what we're seeing now is opportunities to play it from the bear side. So I think you're spot on. Yeah, and when I look at the FX side and I look at that downtrend that's been in place for the last year, and you could back it out a couple of years, and it's even that much more pronounced. But so we're breaking out, you know, right here, and you say, well, why would you kind of take the other side of a, a powerful breakout? And you know, listen, my my trade is a near term one. I, I'm using options. I'm defining my risk. I'm looking out to February expiration. I'm targeting a move to like that kind of mid December low back there um, towards 27 or so. So today, when the FX side was trading 31.35, I bought the February 31.27 put spread. Paid a dollar for that. I bought to open one of the Feb 31 puts for a dollar twenty. I sold to open one of the Feb 27 puts at twenty cents. That one dollar in premium. That is my max risk. I profits of up to three dollars between thirty and twenty seven, with a max gain of three at or below twenty seven. I have losses of up to a dollar between thirty and thirty one, with a max loss um, of a dollar above thirty one. And the rationale is really simple here. I want to risk as little as I can, about three percent of the ETF price. I want to break even. That's not way out of whack here. So the break even down at thirty is down like for a little less than four and a half percent and have a max gain of about 10 percent of the etf price if it's down 14 or so percent in five weeks so i'm giving myself a little time for this um to play out and, and as always when i'm doing long premium directional trades in the options market i want to use a mental stop here so i paid a dollar and if let's say the fxi continues to go higher here or just kind of sits here for weeks you know the the, the options that i'm long are going to decay here so if i get to about 50 percent of the premium that i spend so about 50 cents i'll look to cut the losses on this trade and the flip side is if i start getting the stock going or the etf going lower in the direction i want and that one dollar i paid is let's say worth two at some point it's in the money and i'll look to take half off uh and let the profits ride on the rest of it so again that's how i'm trading the fxi here near term bearish defining my risk but i have very clear thoughts about how i'm going to cut my losses and how i might take gains I think it's spot on. We'll put it on the risk reversal website for people to look at a little bit of a deeper dive. And, you know, again, it's using opportunities. You know, these bounces create opportunities. I happen to think this is a bear market bounce in Chinese stocks. I mean, they've extended a little more than I thought, but we also thought that would happen 
back in October. And this is an interesting comment. Um, and I want to have it pulled up. The world boycotted Russia. Of course, now it goes away on my. The world boycotted Russia for the war in Ukraine and crimes against humanity. How is China any different? It's not. And I think in that Edmund is exactly right. You know, companies made their move in Russia. Listen, Nike or McDonald's or Apple or any of these multinationals getting out of Russia is not a big deal. I mean, these the profits they derive from Russia are insignificant, but they set the precedent. So God forbid something will happen with China and Taiwan. For them not to do anything, in my opinion, would be catastrophic. And for them to do something potentially is catastrophic. So if you think China-Taiwan is going to happen sometime this year, almost by definition, you have to think there's another leg lower in some of these things, Dan. Yeah, one last thing, Guy, before we get out of here, because Bitcoin futures are listed on the CME. And I think this is kind of such an interesting chart here. It's just been kind of flatlining below the, what would you call mm-hmm. the hard deck there? And if you look at this on a one-year basis and, you know, banging around this kind of 17, 16 and a half, you know, 18 sort of, uh, you know, and you see where that resistance is. And again, I, I mean, I think this thing probably goes much lower before it goes higher. I think you and I have been structurally bearish on um, Bitcoin for a while. I don't get it. I find some of the people who are backing it um, and the way they do with the kind of religious nature of it kind of um, disturbing. And, um, you know, I just don't know who the buyer is right now. But the flip side of that, you know, and we talked a lot about Coinbase guys since it went public, I think near the highs in like the spring of 2021 of Bitcoin here, you know, this company, I, I just want to say this, so it's got a $9.3 billion market cap right now. Okay. They have $5 billion in cash and mm-hmm. they have like 3.7 in debt. And when you think about that, the company also announced that they're um, cutting 20% of their workforce to, um, today. They've already made announced cuts a few months ago here. So that's like a thousand employees. You know, the revenues are expected to get cut in half last year from 2021 when it was just a rip roaring sort of like, you know, retail um, sort of orgy. But if this company get their cost structure in line here. I mean, this is kind of a cheap asset. If you think that, you know, tokenized, you know, like, like assets going further, it doesn't have to be a form of payments. There could be um, a whole host of other things. I don't know. It just seems kind of interesting to me, Coinbase here, but um, again, largely because of that balance sheet, especially if they're aggressively cutting costs, they're buying themselves a lot of time. Can't speak to the options vol, what it is, but I mean, if vol is cheap enough or reasonable enough where you could give yourself some time and play for you know i don't necessarily know if it's 75 dollars, but probably something 65 to 70 for that potential move to the 200 day moving average on any modicum of good news i mean we've seen moves like that before just go to last summer and you know i think it was in august or so when you saw a huge move to the upside only to be followed by the continued downtrend. So I'm with you on that one. And not Can that I anybody wants to hear to that vol. I mean, so yeah. this is pretty fascinating. Like you just asked, it's basically the implied volatility. The price of short dated options um, is about a hundred, which is insane. That's implying like, you know, like, yeah. like 5% no. um, daily moves. And I just want to throw this out there. If you were to look at February expiration and this is how you kind of price this. So the stock's at $41 or so. So the 40 strike, straddle okay that is the february 40 call premium plus the february 40 put premium you put it together and you get almost 11 dollars. so think about that okay think that that just just show you so if you would basically wanted to just make a directional bet looking out to february expiration and the stocks at 41 so and you looked at the 40 call and is offered at 550 it's a dollar on the money you're basically paying 10 percent 
of the stock price um, to have that defined risk bullish exposure. And then if you just thought that basically, I mean, basically the applied move in the options market is about 20% in either direction between now and February 17th expiration. That is insane. Be very careful buying options in a stock. Deep, deep end of the pool. By the yeah. way, you, there's something called a bad beat and I'm going to end it on this. I know you're yeah. not going to clip this, but uh, I'm, I'm an advisor for a company called Sport Trade, which is a really cool gaming app. And one yeah. of the prop bets they had last night was over 72 and a half in that TCU um, Georgia game, which is a huge number. Um, but it actually was an intriguing number. Georgia scores late to make the score 65 to 7. The kid misses the extra point. I didn't. I didn't see that. Oh man, that's. And I'm was... watching this. I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. People watch stuff like that, and they're convinced that somebody knows something. Now, obviously, the kid had no idea, but I always find it interesting, Dan, when things like that happen. But that's just me. You want to say yeah. anything on the back end? Yeah, of that? that was great. We laughed. We up. cried. We talked. NBA, we finished off with a little of the college football championship, which I got to tell you, I was happy to be at the bad loss yeah. of the Knicks over sitting in front of my uh, my TV watching that horrible uh, game. Oh, look at that. Oh, there look it is. That. Where are look you? At the Greek freak. I mean, like the guy's just... there, though. Are you wearing like the Knicks? No, or I'm something? not in the picture. No. I, I took the picture. That, I took that. Picture. Oh, that's great yeah. seats. I mean, what are you yeah. sitting on the bench? Yeah, it's good to be Dan it. Nathan, folks. I mean, I'm I'm at home watching my Zenith, and Dan's in, sitting basically. Well, you, wait, I thought you were listening to, on the radio. I thought you weren't listening. Sorry, on the radio. that's an excellent point by you. That's it for Market Call. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Always thank you to FactSet, our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow with a great Carter Braxton worth 1 p.m. Buckle up, folks, because I got a really strange feeling the next few days are going to be entertaining, to say the least. See you later.